The scripture reading for today is from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick, and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he had sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord. God, uh, before you uh, have your seat, can you turn to one another and to those who are far away with a wave, with I smile, good morning. God is good, good morning. Yeah, you can do that now before you sit. And for those of you who are joining us online, welcome to our Sunday corporate worship. You may be seated. And I trust that uh, college young adult retreat over the weekend or Thursday to Saturday was wonderful. I briefly chatted with Pastor Daniel before the service, and he said it was so good, and I look forward to hearing what uh, God has done in that retreat and how you guys grew to love the Lord and love one another uh, through the retreat. Here's a man that uh, I want to introduce and for you to meet. If you are a single woman and is looking for a man to marry, uh, this is the man. This is the man that you want to meet. And if you have a daughter and you're looking for a man for your daughter, uh, here's a man that you want to introduce your daughter to meet. And I mean, uh, I have a daughter and um, I have a high standard. Um, it will be hard for any guy to meet my high standard for my daughter, Karis, in the future. He's on, she's only eight, but since she was five, I've been educating her that any guy who approaches you need to go through me first. But if it's this guy, I will be quite open. The man I want you to meet is the man we meet in our passage today. We don't know his name, and some of you girls are like, yeah, I like the mystery. Um, we don't know his name, but we are known, or he's known to us as a centurion. A centurion was a middle-ranking military officer who is in charge of 100 soldiers, centur- centurion, 100 soldiers under him. And this centurion had an impressive quality. He, he's a man of character, as you will see. He's a man of competence and a lot of resources. And more than anything, he's a man of faith. And for those of us who are people of faith, I mean, that's the most important thing. Jesus is rarely impressed by people. No one really impressed him when Jesus was ministering in Palestine. It was usually people around Jesus who are amazed by Jesus. But then here we have a man who amazes Jesus. This centurion impressed Jesus, astonished Jesus. It says Jesus marveled at him. And we are amazed by Jesus' amazement of this person, Centurion. And so we ask, what was it about this man that Jesus was so impressed? Let's look at verse 9. It says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Usually the verb marvel is used, people marveled at Jesus, whenever Jesus did some amazing stuff. 
whether it's his teaching or his healing. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. So what was the reason for Jesus' amazement? It was the quality of his faith. Jesus is saying, I've met many people in Israel, and this centurion who is not even a Jew, he has a rare faith, and I'm very impressed. So that's what we want to think about and talk about this morning, faith. Faith that impresses Jesus. And the question is, what is it about his faith that impressed Jesus so much? What kind of faith was it that Jesus was so amazed by this man? And I see at least three aspects of faith that impressed Jesus. Number one, it it was the faith that boldly sought after Jesus and with humility. It's seeking Jesus in both boldness and humility. First, it was faith that boldly sought Jesus. It was an active seeking faith. It was not a passive, you know what, God's going to sort things out. I don't need to do much kind of faith. No, it was an actively seeking faith. Look at verse 3. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to Jesus elders of the Jew. Again, he's very resourceful. He's got lots of connections. Asking Jesus to come and heal his servant. I mean, he could have thought, you know what, Jesus, he's, he's really busy. He's really popular. There are crowds around him. I'm not even a Jew. Well, if he happens to pass by, maybe, maybe. No, he, he didn't think that way. He initiated, he actively and boldly sought after Jesus, and he used his resourcefulness uh, of Jewish friends to reach out to Jesus. Faith negates self-sufficiency. Faith refutes autonomy. Faith refuses to do life without dependence on God. Faith is a realization that, you know what, this life, and especially when it comes to death, I can't do it. I cannot handle it. I need God. Faith says, I need you, O God. I need you. I cannot and will not do this life alone. I will seek your face. That's faith. That's why living faith usually is expressed in a life of prayer. Prayer is an expression, an evidence that we are depending on God for everything. Instead of trying harder, Bible is not against hard work, by the way, but instead of just trying to do it on your own strength or Google to find answers, nothing against Google, I Google too, But fundamentally, faith starts by seeking God. A faith that seeks Jesus with boldness is also mixed with humility. Um, The word worthy gets repeated in this passage a number of times. And it's interesting how that word is used. Let's look at verse 4 and 5, where Jewish elders are praising the centurion how he is worthy. Verse 4, When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, This centurion is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. And he's the one who built the synagogue. The synagogue that you preach, Jesus, in Capernaum, in this city? The, the synagogue that you heal people, people line up to be healed? That very synagogue? Guess what? It's the centurion who built it. Centurion did a lot of good for Jewish people. And so the elders are reasoning with Jesus. You know what, Jesus? I know you're busy, but you got to come and help this guy. He's special. He's a real deal. 
He is worth your time and your power. If there's any prayer that is to be answered, it is this guy's prayer that needs to be answered. He's worth it. He deserves it. That's how Jewish elders approach Jesus. But look at a very contrasting response of a centurion, the centurion in verses 6 and 7. Look at this. And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house of the centurion, the centurion sent friends saying to Jesus, Lord, please do not trouble yourself because I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. That's ESB translation has, I have, I did not presume to come to you. NASB, which is a more literal translation, says, I did not even consider myself worthy. The, wor- the, the sense of unworthiness is emphasized in his response to Jesus' coming under his roof. Now, Jewish religious leaders look at this centurion and says, he's worthy. He's worth it. He deserves it. Look at how much he has done for God and for God's people. And here is this man who thinks otherwise. He says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy at all. What's going on here? Jewish people looked at his life, good works, and is thinking he deserves God's blessing. Salvation, healing, blessing by works. He's a young man. He's very fine. Excellent. He deserves better. His prayer must be answered. But that's not how the centurion thought about himself. There's zero sense of entitlement. Like he didn't think like, you know, Jesus, as my Jewish friends tells you, I mean, I built a synagogue. Without that building, you're not going to be able to preach or heal. I mean, without what I did, like, you don't even have ministry. He, he didn't think that way. He had zero sense of entitlement. He does not demand Jesus to heal. There's no sense of God owes me here. When, peop- when other people, the religious people, were looking at the externals, his achievements, this centurion had a spiritual insight to look internally into his own soul. And as Jesus is approaching him closer and closer, it is interesting how he first sends them for Jesus to come, but then later he changes his mind. As, as the holy presence of God comes near him, he's feeling helpless. It's like Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Woe is me, I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. It's Peter who encounters Jesus and says, Lord, please leave me, I'm a sinner. It's the Apostle John in Revelation 1, encountering the living Jesus, the resurrected king, and says, I'm doomed. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy at all. No sense of I deserve better. Only a sense of I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. But let me clarify this feeling of unworthy or this unworthiness sense. That it's not the same as feeling worthless. Let me repeat that. Repeat that. Feeling unworthy before the holiness of God is not the same thing as feeling I'm worthless. Some of you totally get this feeling of feeling unworthy, feeling inadequate, feeling I'm never good enough. And you say with the centurion, I'm so unworthy. And it's a posture of humility before God. And it's, you get it. If you're a Christian, you get it. You begin there, right? I'm a sinner in need of God's mercy. But again, Unworthiness 
is not the same as worthlessness. By unworthy, we're not saying you are good for nothing. We're not saying that. If you think that way, and you know, I, I'm a, I come across Christians, good-hearted Christians, with lots of good convictions, especially about their own sin and their wrongdoing, feeling, man, I am a sinner. I'm a failure, actually. How could God love me again after I've done what I've done? Um, if I can make it to heaven, that's great. But you know what? Deep inside, I know that I don't, I don't deserve anything good. And the enemy will condemn you and put you down and put you into hopelessness and despair. Remember, brothers and sisters, it's satanic to think that you are worthless, that you are garbage. God doesn't tell you you are garbage. I have an illustration that I heard somewhere. I don't know whether you guys have heard this. I have this $100 bill here. Clean. Thank you, my wife, for giving this money. I may return it to you or I may keep it. But let's say it's all crumbled. And if it's, it's thrown and it's stepped on, I mean, it's, it's really crumbled now, right? And, and maybe like it's touched by some people, dirty people. What is the value of this $100 bill? What is it? Did the value of this bill depreciate because it's been crumbled? Because it's been stepped on? No, the value of the $100 bill remains the same. It is $100 bill. God created you and me in his wonderful, awesome, glorious image. We've sinned. We've messed up. And some of us messed up more than others. You know it. I know how I've messed up a lot. Human dignity is not negated by human depravity. Some of you grew up at church hearing, you're a sinner, and that's so true. You are a sinner. But you know what? I've learned over the years, without anybody telling me, if the Holy Spirit is real and in living and active in my life, if, I, if the presence of God comes to me in His holiness, nobody has to tell me that I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And if you haven't experienced it, I pray that you will. Because that's first step towards healing and restoration and, and, and renewal and salvation and healing. Some of you have been beaten down and feel like, man, I'm, I'm crumbled. My life, hopeless. No, 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 brothers and sisters, let me remind you today, your sense of unworthiness does not equate to worthlessness. I love the story. Many of you know the, the story of the prodigal. I think I can, I can still use this in Superstore, so I'm going to keep this. But they will recognize that this is $100 bill. I love the story in Luke 15, the prodigal son story, which Jesus tells later in Luke's gospel. This prodigal son messed up, messes up his life pretty bad. He lives a reckless life for a long time. He's, he's wasted. And one day he comes to his own senses and decides to go back home. And as he's walking back home, he's, he feels defeated. And he's face down, and he's, he's practicing what he's going to say to his father. And he, he practices this, this line. I, I've sinned against heaven and you, Father. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He's practicing that. That line, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. 
just, I'm, I'm, just treat me as a higher servant. Just give me some food and I'll be happy. And the father looks at the son walking with his heads down, defeated, runs after him, kisses him, embraces him, and tells his servant what? Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring in his hand and shoes on his feet. We are going to have a party. Church, church is a place of celebration and party. Jesus loves party. I love party too. I've, you know, I used to be very, you know, I still practice self-control, not eating red meat so far. I'm doing well. But I love party, hanging out, celebration. I mean, Jesus loved party. And Jesus especially loved party when people come feeling defeated and he will just raise them up, raise them up. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, if you come with a sense of unworthiness today or any time in your Christian journey, and today may be the first time feeling that way, God bless you. God will not affirm that, yeah, you are unworthy, man. You're actually worthless. No, that's the voice of Satan. God says, you're my child. You are my beloved. If you confess your sins to Jesus, Jesus will say to you, your sins are forgiven. My blood has covered you completely. You don't have to do a thing. (laughs) That's a good news. And I put you the robe of righteousness, my perfect righteousness. Come into my family, and that's party. Brothers and sisters, we have to hold human dignity with human depravity together. One without the other is heresy, unhealthy, unbalanced. We have the identity of saints, sufferers, and sinners, all three. It's like a three-legged school, stool. You need all three legs. By the way, that's the curriculum that we'll be using for life group leadership training in the, in the fall. A great book. Saints, sufferers, sinners. You need to know your identity in that order, in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus flipped from sinner, sufferers, to sinner, to saints, sufferer, and sinners. Okay, so what about the faith that impressed Jesus? It was faith that sought Jesus with both boldness and humility. And when you have this identity, this understanding that we have the dignity as an image bearer, though it's marred by sin, human dignity, but we are depraved. Yeah. We need God's mercy, and God is willing to give it to us. Lavish that mercy upon us in Jesus. Now, second, it was faith that acknowledged the authority of God and his word, and especially in Jesus. Now, it's uh, centurion we're talking about. Of course, his life context is army. He He understood the clear authority and automatic obedience in armies. He was a middle ranking officer in Capernaum, and he would have received a regular order from his commander who would be probably in Caesarea, which is about 50 miles away. And the word comes to him, and he wouldn't be arguing with his superior. He would just obey. Right? Army, like, if, you, if you're in a war, and your commander said, put your hands down, you don't want to say, what did you say? Uh, no, I don't, think, I don't think the bullet's coming at me. You, you don't argue. You just obey. He knew that. He knew that. And he would expect his soldiers to listen to him and not challenge him. Look at verse 7 to 8. This is, this is a centurion's word. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. One commentator says this, listen, it is true that God's sovereignty over the world is exercised in such love and compassion that the image of the commending officer 
organizing a battle is hardly the picture or the best picture to use. But, but, if we see God's authority at work in Jesus Christ as any less absolute than that of a military officer, then we are, according to this passage, not only mistaken, but also lacking faith itself. It's a faith issue. Obedience issue is faith issue. It's an obedience of faith. Centurion understood the creation order that men are under the authority of God with authority over God's creation. He's the middleman. He's the vice regent. He says, I am a man under authority and I have soldiers under me. That's, that's exactly how God created Adam and Eve, you and me. We have the authority to create, to multiply, to educate, to disciple, to build things, and do amazing things, and we rule and reign. But God said, but don't forget, I've given you all that, but you are under my authority. And that's why God gave the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Whenever you look at the tree in the middle of the garden, the paradise, you can rule and reign and exercise your freedom and authority over the whole creation because I made you as my image bearer to exercise that authority. But remember, whenever you look at the tree in the middle, remember that you're not God. That tree belongs to me. You're not, you, you're God-like because I created you to be, be like me, like my sons and daughters. You're a prince and princesses, but you're not king. That, and somehow this pagan soldier <laughs> understood that creation principle. That's amazing. Going deeper at the heart of his impressive faith was that he recognized that Jesus has God's authority. In fact, somehow, Holy Spirit, like Romans 2 talks about, he's like the in, inward Jew. He's not a Jew outwardly. Maybe he wasn't even circumcised. But Bible talks about Holy Spirit circumcising the heart to understand the truth of God. He's like that man in Romans 2. He recognized that Jesus is God. And for those of you who grew up at church, like, of course I know Jesus is God. No, no, no. Listen, you read through Luke without that religious preconception. A lot of people, including Jesus' disciples, did not see what centurion saw. You read on, and there's a ton of healing stories in the gospel. The next story is Jesus. He doesn't even have to speak. He stops a funeral service touches the beer, the casket, because the widow who has only one son just died. The, the son died. She's helpless. A lot of people, knowing the situation, they're just crying. Jesus stops the funeral procession and says, his heart goes out to his family or this widow and says, boy, I tell you, rise. Guess what? Boy rises. My goodness. People are asking, who is this? He's a prophet. Who, who is this man? Even John the Baptist, he wasn't sure. Are you the one to come? Really? Or should we expect someone else? Later, Jesus, in this the last story in, the, in this chapter, Luke 7, story of Jesus forgiving a prostitute. Jesus says, your, your sins are forgiven. All the adultery that you committed, I'll I wipe it. And you know what people ask? Who is this that even, he can, he can even forgive sins? Only God can do that. Right? I mean, that's the reason why Jesus got crucified. The religious leaders were saying, you're blaspheming. 
Who are you to say you can forgive sin? You pretend to be like God. But this centurion's like, he is God. <laughs> the disciples are in a boat. Later, there is a windstorm, and they're like, we are dying, Jesus. Help us. Jesus goes. Jesus tells the wind, calm down, calm down, wind. And the hurricane stops. And the disciples go, who is this? Oh, my goodness. Okay. I got, uh, this is what happens when you get too excited. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of know my sermon in my head, so it's okay. <clears throat> Even disciples who lived with him for many days, they were questioning, who is this? Who is this? But this centurion, he knew that Jesus was God. Do you know that Jesus is God? That will change your life. That will change your life. And this centurion had an impressive faith because as a pagan, maybe he was a religious Jew like the centurion in Acts 10, the Cornelius, another centurion who received the Holy Spirit. But he knew that Jesus is God. Um, I was debating whether I talk about this, but I, I was burdened pastorally to talk about this, so I'm going to spend a little bit of time. And this, this topic of faith and healing requires a separate sermon, sermons. But because in verse 10, we do hear that when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well, uh, we see that he got healed. The servant got healed. And um, I, I, I can see some of you asking this question. You know, Pastor, I know the faith that you're talking about. Yeah, I pray with boldness and humility. And I actually know that Jesus is God. And Jesus could do anything. He can just speak a word and my sickness, my parents' sickness, my son's sickness, my friend's sickness, it will, it will be gone. But the problem is, I did all that in faith? Well, my, my sickness didn't go away. My parents actually died. And I'm struggling with this issue that I've been struggling for so many years. So does that mean that I don't have the faith that you're talking about? Or do I lack faith? Do I have to have more faith? Should I even continue to pray? Uh, let me just share a couple things, okay, because of time I can. If you have any questions on this, I would love to talk with you in person after the service. Email me. I would love to go out for coffee and talk more. Um, let me just talk about the timing of healing. In the gospel, there are a lot of healing. In the letters, um, not so much. In the mission field nowadays, there's still a lot of healing. You go to India, casting out demon, a lot of physical healing and all that. And the reason that the gospel narratives include lots of healing, the reason that you experience a lot of healing miracles in mission field is because the point of the healing is to point people to Jesus. That's why John, Apostle John, prefers to use the word sign instead of miracle. It's a signpost. Telling people, you know what? Jesus demonstrates through his healing that what he's saying is true. It's a sign. Miracles need in mission field because people will not believe that Jesus is God unless something happens. I mean, I can go on and I'll talk about miracle stories because I have some stories to tell myself. Now, so if, if, if that's the point, right, that's the purpose of the healing, uh, we know why the Gospels include that, because all these miracles are pointing Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Believe that he's God. For those of us who believe that, the miracle may or may not be needed, because we, even without the miracle, you believe. Number two, timing of the healing. Sometimes the healing happens immediately, like, like the story here. Sometimes it takes a long time with uh, prevention of uh, or, or the intervention of medication and all that. Sometimes 
it uh, will, you will never be healed until you die. The ultimate healing is after you die. I mean, James 5 talks about it. I cannot go on uh, about that, but it's a timing of healing. It could be now, it could be later, but God will heal. That's the promise. So we can boldly pray, we can expect and not lose heart, even if our prayer is not answered for healing. But let me tell you, this is, this is one thing that I really want to share. One thing that I've learned from my personal experience regarding faith and healing. I went through counseling several years ago, and during one of the sessions, I asked my counselor, so basically, will this problem go away? Will this issue go away? And my counselor, a wise counselor, didn't answer my question. Instead, he asked me a different question. He said, listen, will you glorify God with this problem even if you may have to live with this problem for the rest of your life? That that question was a turning point. I had to answer that question. I struggled with that question. He, he, He was saying this, God in his sovereignty can make your problem go away like this, today, right now. He has power and authority over your sickness, mental health issues, relational issues, even death. He could do that. If he wills to do it, he will do it. He can just make it happen like that. But the question is, even if God doesn't do that, will you glorify him? Will you glorify him as you limp along your life? And I had to ask, you know, what was the reason I'm bringing this problem over and over to Jesus to have him solve this? I mean, of course, it will make my life so much better, so much easier. And I think it will help with my other relationships and all those good stuff. But then I came to realize that the very problem that I wanted to solve somehow along the way became an idol. It's like that problem became the centerpiece and Jesus was a helper or a cure to get rid of that thing. That thing was controlling my life, even my devotion to God. That, was, that problem was dictating my life's happiness and even my relationship with God. My goodness. And then I realized I need to repent. And then I had to confess, and I could confess. I can still glorify God. I choose to glorify God with that problem. Problem that may never go away in this life. Because what matters is not that I don't live without I don't live with, with the pro- without the problem, but what, ma- what matters is I glorify God regardless. That's the primary thing. That was a turning point for me, and I was set free. I still struggle with problem, but the problem does not dictate my faith. I still believe in Jesus, that he could heal me today, or he could do whatever he wants to do, and I will seek him with both boldness and humility. So I pray that you along with me, will be able to say, I will glorify you, Jesus, in my sickness, in my depression, in my singleness, in my broken marriage, in my troubles. I will glorify you, Jesus. And that's the kind of faith that would impress Jesus, that would edify fellow brothers and sisters, that will glorify God. Lastly, faith that impressed Jesus in the centurion, it was a missional faith. It was a faith that was expressed in love for others, especially the least of these, especially the ones whom other people were thinking he's more of a liability than a benefit. But this centurion didn't think that way. Look at this. The whole story of the centurion actually begins with a problem that was not his own. 
It was not even a problem that involved his mom or dad or family member or even his commander or even his soldier. It it involved his servant, a servant, slave. Back in those days, slaves were considered to be disposable. You use one, and if he gets sick, you just dispose him or dispose her. They were considered valueless unless they are giving you benefit. They were not treated with dignity, but not with this centurion. So impressive. Look at verse 2. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick at the point of death who was highly valued by him. Now, the the phrase highly valued by him, we think, you know, he was valued because he did valuable things. No. We're not talking about a soldier who protected him and doing some important project here. You're talking about a slave doing some menial stuff. The word highly valued had nothing to do with the value that he brought into the centurion's life. It had everything to do with the innate value of the person. The Greek word antimos, timos, is used a lot as an honor, a sense of honor and preciousness, my precious. He calls the servant my child. Like, he, he, I mean, sorry to break the news. Maybe he was married. I don't, I don't know. But uh, if he had a child, he would say, my precious. He's looking at the slave and says, he's my precious. I will go to my way to make sure that my servant will be healed. I'll do everything for him. You know what? This servant, uh, this centurion shows how Kingdom of God, when it comes to people, will be living with one another. This is the right side of kingdom value in action here. He's caring for someone who other people will question, why do you care for him so much? I mean, can you imagine the centurion to be your boss? You wouldn't want to leave your work or change company because you know that your boss genuinely cares for you and wants best for you, and he honors you. When other people ignore you and disses you and neglect you and put you down, this boss, he may chastise you, he may, you know, um, he's not going to baby you, but even if he gives negative comments, you know deep inside, my boss is willing to die for me. My boss will help me. He had a missional faith. Faith expressed itself in love, Galatians 5, right? That's a real faith. And that faith impressed Jesus. Let me conclude with two applications. Because I was burdened as I was reflecting this about the church and how we live as, a, as Christians outside of church. Number one, related to church. When it comes to church, where we are to practice and live out this right side up kingdom values together, we are to treat one another with honor and respect, especially with the least of us. And I've been, you know, Lord, I, you know, who, who are the least of these? And I went through the membership list of us, and God convicted me. Take care of people with special needs. We have children in our congregation with special needs. Moms and dads who honor and cherish their precious little ones with special needs. We are grateful that KM has one because of pandemic. I mean, it's been very challenging. Actually, several weeks ago, uh, one of the um, leaders from KM ministry approached me during our fellowship time about, is there a, a ministry in the EM for special needs children? And I said, I'll get back to you. Leaders, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. If we want to live out 
this kingdom value, and new hope, we cannot neglect the least of these. And one of the least of these amongst us are people with special needs. They need to be valued and cherished and honored with much dignity as we would honor and praise an Olympic gold medalist. Now, that's an upside-down kingdom, right-side-up kingdom. And if we live that out, I can see Jesus smiling at us. We will be a church that impresses Jesus. Not just hanging out in our own cliques and, you know, doing good to one another, but it's all like, you know, exchanging goods and services to one another for our own benefit. No, we got to go out of our way. I'm thankful that we have people and so many of them. I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm praying and I'm thinking and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm so thankful. I'm very inspired and encouraged that many of you do care for the least of these. And I pray that you will do more, more and more and more. When it comes to people outside of church, I mean, we could go on and on and talk about who are the least of these. Well, I think at least there's one people group that we can pray for and do something about. And uh, they are the people of Haiti and Afghanistan. On Wednesday morning, we were doing our morning prayer. And Deacon Sally from our morning devo started to pray. And the first prayer was praying for uh, people of Haiti and Afghanistan. And uh, I mean, you actually used that very phrase. These, they are the people, the least of these. To be honest, I don't really feel it. But the Holy Spirit has convicted me that our church needs to pray. I mean, I looked, so I looked into different ways to do something about those people groups. For Afghan, for now, we, we need to just pray. There's nothing much we can do. We've got to pray. And we, if, if we have refugees coming into Canada, we may want to do something as a church. Now, for people of Haiti, let's pray. But I had a meeting with Amy of Compassion Canada, with Grace from OMC, and we can do something. There is a, a relief fund, disaster relief fund that's been raised through Compassion and you will hear more about it. Uh, I've emailed uh, Pastor Jason and the pastors and the elders, the session, to consider what we can do, how we are to participate. And I can see Jesus smiling at a church that goes after the least of these. Not just within the church, but outside of church. That's a real faith. So what kind of faith was that that Jesus was so amazed and impressed by this centurion. Faith that boldly saw Jesus with humility. Faith that acknowledged God's sovereignty and authority in Jesus. And faith that expressed itself in love to others, especially those who are considered to be the least of these. And may we be that kind of people, that kind of church that will bring smile to Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, we have response song, Humble King, and I invite you to pray at this time. If, uh, whenever the word of God comes to us, it comes to us to comfort those who are weary, to encourage those who are downcast and may God lift up your heart this morning if you come with a sense of defeated and what do I do with my life? I'm a failure and God says, no, no, no. I love you, my son. I love you, my daughter. You are my beloved. Others of us, as you come to Jesus, he may lead you to time of repentance, that you've been complacent, that your faith was not active, and Jesus invites you to hold his hand, walk with him, and be on a mission to bless people, people of nations. So let's uh, spend some time praying, and Sam and the praise team will be leading us into uh, a response song, and if you want to sing along, let's do that, worshiping Jesus together. Praise you, Jesus. We worship you.
Thank you, Jesus, that、uh, when you saw the widow in the next story, your gut was wrenching with compassion for those who are crying, desperate, helpless. And you gave life, you gave second chances. Father, we pray that,、um, well, first we, we, we repent as a church for not having been the kind of church that would bring you glory. But I also thank you that、um, you have been doing some really fine work in so many of our members. That they have been exemplifying these features of the kind of faith that impressed you. And I'm so grateful for them. And we pray that as a church, Holy Spirit, as we sing, be our star and guide and empower us to continue to grow as a church that seek after you in humility and boldness, acknowledging your sovereign grace. Over every situation, and especially reaching out to those who are in need of your mercy and grace, especially the least of these. So we thank you that you will do that, and you do that for your glory and for our good and the good of all nations. So thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.